If you're a founder, you know that fundraising is a big part of the job. What you might not know is that Carta is there to help. Carta's new fundraising suite provides startups of all stages the best tools and support to easily issue safes, accurately forecast solution, and quickly close funding rounds. Save time, money, and make your next round your best yet. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. Welcome to Inc.'s The Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel. I'm Alexa, the founder of LearnVest, author of New York Times bestselling book, Financially Fearless, and second book, Financially Forward. I'm also the founder and managing partner of Inspired Capital, a venture firm focused on the entrepreneurs of the future. Each week, we sit down with a top founder to share their story of guts, inspiration, and drive. Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Alexa Von Tobel. And this week, I'm really excited for you to meet James Hirschfeld, co-founder and CEO of Paperless Post, the market's leading platform for online stationery. James developed the idea for Paperless Post back in 2009 while a sophomore at Harvard. Under his leadership, Paperless Post has reimagined the experience of sending and receiving invitations for over 175 million users and pushed the envelope of design and self-expression in modern communication. James oversees the company's creative vision, collaborating with top-tier design partners like Lodure, Oscar De La Renta, Rifle Paper Co., and John Darian, and a leading in-house design team of illustrators, graphic designers, fine artists, letterers, product designers, and brand designers. He runs the company with his sister, Alexa Hirschfeld. And with that, I want to welcome James. Hi, James. First of all, you know, with 175 million users and growing virally every day still, most people in the world know exactly what Paperless does. But just for those who maybe haven't, can you just give us the one minute on what Paperless Post is? Yeah. Paperless Post is an online invitation and communication platform for events that matter. Um, our mission is to help people gather in a more meaningful way in the real world. And we say, you know, at all the moments that matter, whether that's a wedding, a milestone birthday, a professional event, or just a dinner party with friends. Um, I would say some of our key differentiators are very strong emphasis on design, um, a strong emphasis on user-centric tools that are built to make the experience of organizing a party easier and less stressful. Can we go back to those early, early days of your aha moment, starting the company, graduating from college? Uh, let's go there. Basically, and it, it goes back to the first real party that I ever had as an adult, which was my 21st birthday party. I was at college and I was really excited about throwing a birthday party. I put a huge amount of thought and creativity into putting together this party for all my friends. I got a lot of joy out of that process. But when it came time to actually send the invitations uh, for the party, I realized that there wasn't a solution that really reflected all of the care that had gone into the planning process. And I remember thinking I was kind of paper invitations were you know, prohibitively expensive and um, it would have taken a really long time. I didn't have my friends mailing addresses and digital invitation options at the time were really kind of spammy and crusty. And so I felt like if I was in this situation, there were probably a lot of other consumers out there who felt like they wanted to use digital planning tools for organizing an event, but also wanted something more expressive and more beautiful and more personal. Um, and I happened to be at college at Harvard at a time when there was a, a huge sense of opportunity about being able to start a company and, and launch a business instead of just shelving the idea and called my sister and started working on it. You guys were standing up the business in 2008, 2009, which was the worst recession in 81 years. And what was that like? I mean, give us a sense of like the darkest days of you really going out and trying to, to stand up the company. 
Yeah, I mean, it was wild. I think that people looked at what we were doing, trying to start a company, trying to start a tech company as two people didn't have any formal business background or tech background in the middle of this recession. And I think people thought we were crazy and we were going to fail. But, you know, we were we were really, really determined and we really believed in the idea. One thing that we did, which which I think helped a lot, is that we were able to build a prototype kind of working nights and weekends. We were able to get some real user feedback on which was so positive, it really gave us the energy to continue. And it gave us the kind of the gall to go out and raise money at a time when capital was pretty scarce. Today, you see these Series A's that are huge, or, or, you, or you used to a couple of years ago. At the time, you know, we started small, it was a couple hundred thousand. And, and we were building as we were raising these small rounds. And it was a very different funding journey than I think you would see with a company that was started in 2018. As you mentioned at the time, the idea of having a, a premium online invitation product where people were paying for you know a higher quality service that wasn't ad supported and as as one investor said you know people don't want to pay for pretty jpegs which obviously you know we do much much more than that but um, it was really not the popular wisdom of the time we were told by so many investors that communication was being democratized and that people wanted to communicate only through tweets and that um, the internet wasn't about beauty or wasn't about premium experiences or services and that consumers would never pay for those. And we were kind of respectfully in disagreement. You have always been somebody that I've always admired because you're very design obsessed. Talk a little bit about just the stress that put on the business in the early days. Yeah, I mean, I think virality, viral growth um, has been a really important factor in our trajectory as a, as a business and our viability as a business. Even today, as we're a much more mature business and we're really scaling our inorganic levers, the scale of the viral kind of energy of the business is, is really, really significant for us. And I think that there are uh, obviously a couple of things that we got right with in terms of virality. I mean, I think obviously, as you mentioned, when people send invitations, they're spreading your product to their friends. And this is basically the best kind of advertising you could hope for, because it's basically a recommendation of a product from someone that you know. The fact that the events that we serve in particular are kind of like, we like to say they're like the opposite of spam. It's like, on the spectrum from you know not spam to spam, we're really far on the not spam side. It's people's 25th birthday, their kid's first birthday, their kid's bar mitzvah. That moment is such a magical moment in a consumer's life. And, and to be recommending a product to your friends at that time just creates a really nice viral kind of spread. On the design side, I think part of the virality wasn't just the inherent nature of people using us for their events. I think we also, we were really maniacal about creating a product that looked really different from anything in the market. And we were really maniacal about creating a product that was remarkable. It was really important to us to do that. And actually, we took a long time to launch because we really wanted to get it right and make sure that people were impressed by the product when they saw it for the first time. So the original invitations were really based around the look and feel of stationary and people just got the idea of it when they saw it. And I think that that kind of clarity and that remarkableness of, of something that looked so unlike any other web page was a big multiplier on the virality that we were getting through the natural spread of the product from friend to friend. Can you kind of go back to how you guys thought about adding to the product experience from the original invitations? Very, very strong focus on design is a very, very fundamental part of the DNA of our business. It's one of our core 
differentiators is really the product was born out of a design vision pretty much. Um, and then everything else kind of found a place around that. I was the first designer for the company when we were a team of two, me and my sister, I was doing everything that I could. Everyone was doing everything they could. And I was in charge of actually designing the product and the invitations. Um, and, you know, as soon as we could, we hired professionals, which uh, obviously made a huge difference. And then as we were kind of getting cra- traction and we were scaling, we wanted to really have the best looking product on the platform. We wanted to have things that were better than you would find on the internet. We wanted to have designs that were really remarkable and that people would would, would kind of make us a destination for people who enjoyed events and and the style around putting together a party we wanted to really we wanted the style of our product to be like a beacon for the company and i realized that in order to achieve all the different looks that we wanted to achieve as a platform we would either have to have a really big in-house design team or we would have to start to kind of bring design onto the platform from other designers or brands and i think you know rather than put them on a mood board and try to emulate what they were doing that the cooler thing to do would be to actually bring them onto the platform if they're willing to come and to have them be part of our growth um, and to actually work with them on exclusive lines. And I think that it all happened very naturally. We sort of started to begin these conversations with partners and um, slowly they started to come onto the platform. Now we have about 40 brands and all of them have pioneered a look and are the best in their field at whatever that is, whether that's textiles or home accessories or stationery or women's wear. And it's really cool working with brands you admire so much and seeing them interpret a product that you've created. We never wanted to go the crowdsourced approach because we wanted to kind of go straight to the source and go to the best of the best. As you go back, what do you think was like the aha moment where you're like, wow, this is really going to take off? A really important aha moment for me was in April of 2009, when we were coming out of beta and we were rolling out our payment model. And we'd been kind of trying to raise a round or we'd raise a small round and we'd been hammered by all these investors, as I was saying before, who were telling us that consumers would never pay for a digital service. You know, we were in a recession and we we knew that we wanted to have a, a business that could be viable and we knew that we wanted to have a premium business model or a freemium business model so that we didn't have to rely on advertising because we really felt that, and this is core to our philosophy of our product and our philosophy around events, which is that, you know, events are special moments in people's lives. Um, they're moments when people invest a lot of emotion and time and money into creating really special experiences and they're it's a moment that where it makes more sense to charge a consumer to have a better product than to offer a degraded product and to sell their data or to 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 monetize through advertising or something like that um so we we really knew that we wanted to figure out how to have a premium product which was a a bizarre concept for for events but we didn't we certainly didn't know that it was going to work we didn't know if all of our usage was going to dry up the second we put up any kind of a paywall or how long the journey was going to be to figure out how to charge for this product or whether people would balk at our prices or whatever. And I remember sitting in Widener Library at Harvard during my exam period as a senior and just not focusing on my exam studying and refreshing (laughs) our one admin page that we had for application, which was to show the purchases. 
and you know we hadn't had any purchases. And then I remember about 15 minutes after we launched the paywall, refreshing the page and seeing a $15 order come through from someone who I had no idea, you know, I, I didn't know. And that moment was so magical because seeing something that you've worked on and that you've put out into the world, not just be validated by usage or press, or but someone actually taking out their credit card and paying for it and understanding the value of it and expressing it through a purchase felt very special. Can you go back? Because you really had to invent your pricing structure. It wasn't, you didn't get to go borrow from the competitor that kind of looks like you. You literally were alone innovating this category. Just give us a quick uh, tidbit on like, how'd you guys arrive at where you did? You need to start with a deep sense of, you know, what your user is trying to achieve. And you almost need to start with an empathy for what the, like the, the situation that the user's in when they're using, when they're going to use the product that you're designing. With the pricing model, I think we started with a few basic tenets. I think the first was that events are not everyday experiences. They're things that people look forward to. Most people have one or two events within a year. And there's a lot of planning and a lot of fantasizing and a lot of imagination that happens around an event. You know, what am I going to wear to my Christmas party? What am I going to serve? What kind of candle am I going to burn? And they're very emotionally and socially charged moments. People want them to go well. And I think that we also realized that they were events are, are kind of expensive moments. And when we were thinking about how to monetize the business, we realized that, you know, if the budget for an event is $1,000, if we can get a sort of a piece of that, what, what percentage of that, of that budget can we, can we try to get? Is it 1%? Is it 1.5%? And kind of started to think backwards from the state that a user is in when they're you know, planning a Christmas party or planning a birthday party and kind of how they're thinking about that budget. And, you know, the model that we came up with is one that was loosely based on paper in the sense that the, the price got bigger the more guests that you were sending to. We were able to kind of adapt it from if you walked into a paper store and said, I'm having a 100-person wedding, you're going to pay more than if you're having a 50-person wedding because, you know, you're buying per guest. And so that was kind of the foundation of it. We felt our way into the model that we have, and it's not perfect, but it works pretty well for us. And we'll be right back after a message from our sponsors. Alexa here. Not only do I get the opportunity to speak with all types of founders on, for starters, but I'm a repeat founder myself. We all know how vital fundraising is to a startup. Carta knows this too. That's why they had founders in mind when they created their fundraising suite providing tools and support to take the friction out of fundraising. They save founders time and money, allowing you to focus on your goals, not the admin work needed to close around. From simply issuing safes to quickly receiving funds, Carta Fundraising Suite helps their cap table customers raise a better fundraising round. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. Okay, so I want to transition because, James, you were a first-time entrepreneur, literally still in college, swimming against the grain, backdrop of the worst recession of 81 years, building a product that people told you was going to be impossible, and you prevailed. And then we go into COVID. What did you learn through that period, and what advice like got you through it that you could pay forward to everyone else listening who's clearly facing some version of adversity today? 
COVID was basically the worst thing that could possibly have happened to our business. I mean, in March of 2020, our revenue dropped 85% from one month to the next. It's specifically what we do and how we make money was the culprit of spreading a pandemic that was killing millions of people. The word social distancing, our mission is to help people gather in the real world in a more meaningful way. And social distancing is literally the opposite of that. So it was an unbelievable kind of blunt trauma to everything that we were doing. And it was almost like you couldn't design a worse thing for our business model. It was really, really hard time to be running uh, an event management and invitation platform. It was really trying to watch something that I had built with my sister and others so carefully and lovingly be impacted so much. And there were a lot of really difficult moments, I think the hardest of which was doing a layoff um, in June of 2020 that was really devastating. But I have to say in hindsight that I'm really proud of the way that we handled the outcome. And I'm really energized about kind of where we are coming out of it. I think it's the most exciting period kind of in the history of the company. And I think a lot of it has to do with how we reacted in that time. We were in a position going into 2020 where we had an ambitious growth plan, but there was some technical debt that was really weighing on us. We had built a new platform called Flyer, which was growing a lot and really exciting. And then we had our legacy platform, which is the core online invitation product that people are familiar with. And basically these two platforms were kind of moving apart and we were creating a lot of operational burden running, you know, having two different product stacks and having to choose every time we wanted to build a new feature, we're building it on the new platform or the old platform. The old platform makes most of the money. The new platform is driving all this growth. And we kept on pushing off unifying these platforms because it was like such a thorny and expensive investment that we knew wasn't really going to be that rewarding while we were doing it. The second that COVID hit, we realized that all of our growth plans for at least the next year had gone out the window. There were all these different kind of trends that we were seeing in the data, like, you know, people at, in the beginning of COVID, people wanted to do virtual events. And then we saw a lot of growth in our greeting cards. And some people were saying, you know, should you, maybe you should go chase the greeting card growth and, and start doing gift cards, or maybe you should trace virtual events and do video-based events. And instead of chasing those fads, I really spoke with my sister and I, we agreed that we thought that this pandemic was going to have an endpoint and that we wanted to take the time that we had to really like invest in the future of the product and to do this platform unification that we really <laughs> didn't want to do, but that was so important to, you know, having a high growth business for the next five, 10 years. And so we kind of cleared our roadmap and really took on this challenge. And the goal was that when the pandemic receded, we wanted to be prepared for like super growth. Yeah, it was really tough, but you know, I would say it's a very exciting time at the company now on the other side of it. And I would say that the payoff was honestly worth the trauma. James, I want to transition a little bit to you. If you go back to your childhood, was there something that really stands out that you have sort of naturally harnessed? I think my parents have always made us feel special, probably more special than we actually are. But they've always made us feel like we could achieve anything. And I think if you look back to you know, late 2007, I call my sister, she's working in, in media, I'm a junior in college, um, studying humanities. And I, I called my sister and I said, you know, I have this idea, 
I have this vision. I think I would use this product and I think millions of other people would too. The decision to then go and invest all, all this time in creating a product and launching a company that we had very little experience, domain experience in either tech or entrepreneurship, I think that comes from a deep rooted sense of capability um, and ability. And I, and I definitely think my parents gave that to us. What would you say was the the number one thing that in your like managerial as CEO of the company the whole time, they were really grateful that you got a lot better at? I didn't realize, and I don't know how, I, I think people who are in the beginning of their journey as an entrepreneur, I, I think, you know, you, you learn it pretty quickly. Getting a company off the ground uh, takes a certain type of skill, vision, ability to raise money, ability to inspire a small team to follow where you lead. Running a hundred person company is a completely different skill set. It's, it's really, really, really just like playing a different, totally different instrument. I've always been very comfortable in the first kind of challenge. Like I'm very vision motivated. You know, what's in my head is very, very clear to me around kind of the consumer need and around how to, how to kind of deliver a great product. Figuring out leveling within an organization or comp bending or um, quarterly goal setting and reviews. I mean, this is not really like what motivates me naturally. I think as we have grown as a business and we've been at it for a long time, I have, with the help of my sister and others, really come to appreciate that big part of my job and, and get a lot better at it. I think it is interesting to think about how have I grown? I've never had a manager. I've never gotten a, 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 a review from a manager. So this is literally my first job. My LinkedIn is pretty boring. It's one line. What are your tricks to managing through the stress? Like how have you over a 14 year period gotten better at stress? I have, I'm a very anxious person generally. I'm motivated a lot by anxiety and and sometimes obviously it's a double-edged sword. It can drive you to perform and it can also be crippling. I think for me, uh, the most basic answer is physical exercise. I, I run every day, at least once a day in the morning. Uh, it's the first thing I do when I wake up and it really resets my brain and it gives me the kind of power and the centeredness to take on everything that's coming my way and with a level head. Also for me, it's important, speaking of anxiety, which often for me, it manifests at work. You know, I start to fixate on really short-term problems. Why is the site slow? Why are sales today not what they should be? Why is this person not performing? And what I really try to do is block out time in my schedule as well for longer-term vision work and longer-term planning because, you know, you can kind of fight anxiety by trying to like deal with the issue right in front of your nose, or you can try to fight fight your anxiety by dealing with the, the, the root issue and thinking about, you know, maybe if I were doing a better job communicating our goals, this person's performance would be better. Last question. What do you hold as sacred? Like you've been through all these different chapters of the business and my instincts are that you have something in there that is sort of sacred to you about how you lead and how you run. And I'm just, how would you answer that? I think that for me as a founder, the trust of our users is sacred. I think that um, it's such an honor 
and such a joy to serve tens of millions of users each year at these moments that are so important to them and keeping their trust um, and continuing to improve the product that we're offering them is something that gets me out of bed. It's something that um, motivates me. It's something that I, I never wanted to trade in. And I think that gets expressed in a lot of different ways and having, you know, trying to always strive to have the best um, product, the most performant product, have the best design. We're lucky to run a company that we use ourselves. We use the product. Our friends use the product. It's not like a SaaS company with a thousand clients that are all businesses in a specific industry that we're not part of necessarily. It's, it really is a product that that is out there that we get to kind of experience and um, share with the family and friends and stuff like that. So that makes it, I think, the the reality of our of our users more three dimensional. And I think that um, you know their trust and and loyalty is is sacred to me. Okay, James, I'm going to go to a quick fire round. I'm going to ask a question. Just first thing that comes to mind. Um, biggest pinch me moment to date at Paperless, where you like couldn't believe something happened. The biggest pinch me moment was probably in March 2020 when the pandemic hit, and I was like pinch me, is this a nightmare or is this, is this real? But actually I would say on the positive side, I, I have a pinching moment anytime I'm, I'm traveling. If I'm in another country and I meet someone and they ask me what I do on a plane or on a ferry boat and they say, what do you do? And I say, all right, you know, I run this company, Paperless Post. And they say, oh, I use it for my dad's 70th birthday or I use it for my, my wedding. Um, that is so exciting for me because again, those users are what we think about and obsess about all the time. And to meet them, you know, in far flung, far flung places and hear about their personal experience with the product is always like that. It's the best feeling in the world. I love that. Is there a question you like to ask in an interview to feel like you're kind of getting to the heart of somebody? I like to ask people what drew them to the company, to paperless post, um, because for me, I guess my experience in my job is so personal and um, I really like to work with people who get um, what we stand for and get kind of our values on a bit of a deeper level. And so if I can get a sense that a candidate really kind of sees eye to eye on some of the more subtle values, I, I find that that's usually a great kind of soft question to ask. Is there a book that's changed your life? If you and it doesn't have to be a business book, of course. It's it's just a book that you read that you were like, wow, it really left a massive impact on you. Two, I would say the Iliad. Uh, reading the Iliad in ancient Greek in high school made me want to study ancient Greek in college, and I found it really, really beautiful. And I still do find it really beautiful. And then the other would be Naked by David Sedaris, which is hilarious. And I remember reading it when it came out. And my mother is Greek American and his take on growing up in a Greek American household in the South was so familiar and so funny to me. Um, and it really just, I, I love it. It's worth reading or listening to. Last question is outside of paperless, what's one other category of innovation that's happening in the next five years that you're just fascinated by, or that you're paying a bit more attention to? I mean, everybody must say this, but what's happening in AI is pretty wild. Especially around a company that is a creative company. It's, it's, um, it's, it's really something to, 
to watch. And um, it's, it's, it's fascinating. First of all, James, thank you so much. Everybody out there, I'm almost positive all of you have already heard of Paperless Post or use it. But if you haven't, uh, please check out Paperless Post. And James, we're rooting for you. We've been rooting for you for a long time, but you're absolutely just fascinating in what you've been through. Um, and it's just so exciting. And uh, it's so clear that the company has big, bright days ahead. So thank you for all your leadership. And it's just been so fun to have you on today. Thank you, Alexis. So fun.